0: On this podcast, we talk about violent crime that's not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reform Podcast, a true crime policy podcast. My name is Kimberly Dudick. I'm an attorney and advocate for crime survivors and legal reform. This is a true crime policy podcast, where we explore an unsolved crime over the course of one season, including some important policy issues involved with the case that we'll dig into later in the season. We're searching for answers. If you want to try to end the violence in our communities, push for a policy change and help solve a crime, this is the podcast for you. Through doing this podcast, Hopefully, we can find some answers and push for policy changes that make our community safer. This season, we're exploring the case of the Lady of the Dunes. With you listening and searching, maybe together we can uncover some new evidence or knowledge that will help identify the Lady of the Dunes and allow her and her family to finally have some peace. Every episode of this season will hopefully bring us one step closer to solving this gruesome mystery. Provincetown, Massachusetts, a seaside town at the northern tip of Cape Cod. It's a small town with today a population of only about 3,000 people. Provincetown is also known as P-Town. It's at the end of the peninsula in Massachusetts and is the last town on the highway in Cape Cod. Today it's a favorite tourist destination for many. The town is reported to be a welcoming place that's been a haven for artists and people in the LGBTQ community for years. It's more visitors each year than most of the other Cape Cod towns. This area has a place in U.S. history, so let's talk a little about the history of the area. It's where the Mayflower landed in 1620. On November 11, 1620, the Pilgrims on the Mayflower landed on the hooked tip of Cape Cod at Provincetown, Massachusetts, before proceeding to Plymouth. But before the Mayflower landed, the land was already occupied. The land that would become Provincetown was already home to the Wampanoag Indian Federation. On November 21st, 1620, after the landing of the Mayflower, the Mayflower Compact was drafted and signed in Provincetown Harbor, giving a set of rules for self-governance. This governance was established by white male English settlers who traveled to what they called the New World. And this was part of the colonization of the land that would later become known as the United States. So that's some of the history of Provincetown and now going up to 1974, Let's talk about the year the Lady of the Dunes was discovered. We're going to drop this case into history. To set the scene for what was going on during this time, it's important to know what the world was like then. In August of 1974, Richard Nixon became the first U.S. president forced to resign after the Watergate scandal and Gerald Ford became president. If you're a boxing fan, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali in October of that year had a boxing match that was dubbed to be the Rumble in the Jungle. In September of that year the Kootenai Native American tribe in Idaho declared a peaceful war on the United States in an attempt to gain attention to the tribe's loss of land as well as other problems. This peaceful war ended with the US government giving the tribe 12.5 acres of land so as to end it. Now a little bit of pop history. Stephen King, when he was 26 years old this year, published his debut novel, Carrie, in April of 1974. If you're a film goer, popular films that year were The Sting and The Exorcist, as well as Murder on the Orient Express. Musicians filling the airwaves and setting the mood for the nation were ABBA, David Bowie, The Beach Boys, Ella Fitzgerald, Joni Mitchell, Van Morrison, Stevie Wonder, and The Velvet Underground. On television, people were watching The Price is Right, The Six Million Dollar Man, The Waltons, Kojak, and Kung Fu. And the cost of things was much less. If you wanted to send someone a letter, the cost for a first class stamp was only 10 cents. Now let's talk about what you could buy food-wise if you wanted to make someone dinner. A dozen eggs was just 78 cents. You could buy a gallon of milk for $1.40. You could buy a loaf of bread for just 28 cents. If you wanted to drive somewhere like you'd have to drive to go to Provincetown, you could buy a new car for as little as $3,500 and fill it up with a gallon of gas when gas was only priced at 53 cents per gallon. Now, as to where the U.S. was as a nation in 1974, to give you the context of the world that the Lady of the Dunes was living in when she was brutally murdered, we're gonna talk a little bit about the rights that women had and how women were viewed, what rights to bodily integrity they had, and what kind of decisions they could make. In 1973, the year before her body was discovered, a woman's right to full reproductive health care, including abortions, was recognized in the landmark US Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade. (laughs) Women's financial freedom was helped along with passage in 1974 of the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. This act granted women the right to obtain credit cards separate from their husbands. So think about that. Prior to this act, a woman could not get her own credit card. This act also banned credit lender discrimination based on race, sex, age, nationality, or marital status. Unfortunately, this kind of discrimination is still going on today, but at least this act was a step in the right direction. And the US Supreme Court ruled in Cleveland Board of Education versus Lafleur that it was unconstitutional to force a pregnant woman to take maternity leave from her job on the assumption that she was incapable of working while pregnant yes people women can work while pregnant they have been doing it for centuries so 1974 that's the world we're living in when the lady of the dunes body was discovered july 26 1974. it was a beautiful summer day in provincetown massachusetts sunny bright blue skies slight breeze the winds were blowing, the water is flowing, the water is crashing against the sand. According to the old farmer's almanac, the temperature was about 65 degrees Fahrenheit. You could see for miles, nearly seven miles into the distance. A light breeze was blowing at about eight miles an hour with occasional wind gusts. 12 year old Leslie Metcalf and her parents were walking with some friends' dogs. Her sister, Alyssa, who was 10 years old at the time, had stayed behind because she wanted to go to the horse stables while her parents and Leslie visited friends at the seascape dune shack. Alyssa recounted this in an interview nearly 45 years later that she gave on April 16, 2019, in the Metro West Daily News. After visiting their friends, Leslie and her parents hiked back to the Province Lands Visitor Center. They'd been visiting their friends in the area of Race Point in Provincetown, Massachusetts. And their friends were staying at this dune shack. Now, a dune shack is really exactly what it sounds like. It's a small shack, small place on the dunes that you could rent a stay or vacation in. Race Point is a pretty remote area in Provincetown. Notably, the dunes are especially remote. It's mostly accessed using ATVs, dune buggies, and sometimes by people taking a walk, as the Metcalfs were doing. They were walking back when one of the dogs with them became really excited, started barking, and veered away from the path, running off and appearing to follow a scent. 12-year-old Leslie followed that dog. They were about one mile east of the Race Point Ranger Station. Leslie followed the dog, and walked to a stand of scrub pines where there was tall grass. It was an isolated area where someone could have some privacy, such as if they maybe wanted to sunbathe in the nude. And Leslie saw a woman who seemed to be doing just that. She was laying face down, sunbathing in the nude. And the area was private enough that she could have decided she wanted to lie in the sun and tan naked without the danger of anyone seeing her. She wasn't laying out in the sand out in the open. She was in an area of thick brush in the tall seagrass. But even though this area was private, she really wasn't far from people. The woman was lying about 15 feet from an access road that went along the backside of the Dunes Edge Campground. Now the Dunes Edge Campground is a 17-acre family campground set amidst the sand dunes and pines that today has over 90 campsites for people who want to come and enjoy the area. The woman's head was serenely rested on a pair of folded Wrangler jeans, along with a folded bandana. It was a blue bandana. Now, in 1974, wearing jeans and a blue bandana was a pretty common outfit for a woman. And it's actually not so uncommon today, depending upon where you're at. She was on a light green, heavy cotton beach blanket. She was face down on half of the blanket as though she was sharing it with someone. But no trace of anyone else was visible and no trace has ever been found. The sand around the area was not disturbed at all. There was no sign of any sort of struggle. The woman just looked like she was peacefully resting. She had a glittery hairband holding back her long auburn colored hair in a ponytail. It was tied back with this rubber elastic type hairband that had gold-colored flecks. Her toenails were painted pink, and her fingernails might have been painted pink also, but we're not sure for reasons we will talk about very soon. The woman appeared young and white. Leslie Metcalf's sister Alyssa said in an interview for the Cape Cod Times on April 14th, 2019, that Leslie remembered She at first thought she was looking at a deer because of the color. Her 12 year old mind was trying to process what she would soon learn was a horrific scene. It wasn't a deer, but a dead woman. She thought it was a deer because of the woman's skin color. Even though she looked like she was peacefully asleep, a closer look showed that she was not sleeping. She was clearly dead. She had a severe head injury to the left side of her head, which crushed her skull. The woman had obviously been there for a while and her body was decomposing. Extensive insect activity was seen on the woman's body, as happens when a body dies and is left exposed to nature. Leslie stumbled upon a shocking scene that would become a great unsolved mystery in Massachusetts and for many throughout the US. Leslie came upon the gruesome remains of a murder victim, a murdered woman who would eventually become known as the Lady of the Dunes. Leslie Metcalf is widely reported to be the person who found the Lady of the Dunes, and with her family, reported the body to the authorities. However, over the years, another person claims she actually stumbled upon the body first, with her sister, but did not contact authorities sandra lee says that she was nine years old at the time when she stumbled on the body of the lady of the dunes according to an interview she gave to boston spirit magazine sandra says that she and her sister found the decomposing body of the lady two days before leslie she says she stumbled down an incline with her dog who was very excited about something she she also said she heard a strange noise It sounded like somebody playing with a string of pearls in their hand. She didn't smell just a terrible, horrible smell. At first, she thought the smell was because of low tide, but then she came upon the scene where the body of the Lady of the Dunes was. She stated that she saw the woman face down with her hair a mess and a gouge on the right side of her neck. Her arms were tucked down in the sand. And that sound she had heard, the sound of the pearls, was something actually much more ominous than just pearls or jewelry of any kind. And you'll never think of pearls the same way, but that sound of someone playing with a pearl necklace in their hand is actually the sound from all of the maggots that were covering the woman's body. Beyond Sandra Lee, speculation exists that other people may have found the Lady of the Dunes body before Leslie also, but that nobody called the authorities until Leslie. Unfortunately, we can't speak with Leslie now because she passed away in 1996. Now back to where we were on that day, on July 26, 1974 with Leslie. When Leslie realized what she was looking at, she ran and told her parents. Then they all doubled back to the dune shack to tell everyone there what they'd found. From the dune shack, someone took a jeep and went to find park rangers to bring them to the grisly scene and show them what they'd found. Investigators came, the victim was examined, her body was taken away. She was determined to be somewhere between 20 and 40 years old. Her height was five foot six and a half inches and she weighed approximately 145 pounds. She had an athletic build with a 34-inch waist and 31-inch legs. Based on the state of decomposition of her body, they determined that she'd been dead at least 10 days, but possibly as long as three weeks. Her skull indeed was crushed on the left side. The investigators determined that crushing injury to the left side of her head was likely caused by a military entrenchment tool her head was nearly severed from her body. Some sources say this could have been from strangulations, but others state it was likely from the force of the blow to her head. Since she was nearly decapitated, reports speculate that this could also have been from her killer attempting to cut off her head. When we hear the other steps the killer took to hide the woman's identity, this attempted decapitation is a very real possibility. No weapon used to harm the woman was found at the site. No military entrenchment tool was found, although these tools are not uncommon. If you're wondering what a military entrenchment tool is, it's a collapsible spade made of lightweight metal like aluminum or steel. The shovel part flips up so that it's easy to pack and carry. Historically, these date back to Roman times and have been used by military forces for a variety of purposes. But they're not just for the military. People who recreate in the outdoors, such as campers, hikers, dune buggy enthusiasts, and other outdoor groups frequently use these when enjoying the outdoors. So for this area, where there are a lot of sand dunes, campers, hikers, and people riding dune buggies, the tool is really not uncommon. A closer examination also showed that although it appeared she was face down with her hands in the sound peacefully sleeping, that was not the case. It looked like she was peacefully laying there with her hands maybe dug into the sands with her wrists surrounded by pine needles. But upon examining her more closely, they realized that there were no hands. There were pine needles piled up around her wrists where her hands should have been. Both of her hands had been removed. One was from the wrist and the other at the elbow, taking off one of her forearms too. These pieces of her body were nowhere to be found and they have not been found in the decades since her body was discovered. The area seemed quiet, nearly peaceful. Some surmise that with this undisturbed scene, she may have actually known her killer and was sharing the beach blanket with them. Then they attacked her. Or she may have been asleep on her own when she was attacked. Others have suggested that she may have been killed elsewhere and then brought to the scene and posed. The area seemed untouched. The sand wasn't disturbed near her body, and there was no sign of a struggle. No abandoned car was found, and there was no hotel records located that could help identify who she was. There were two sets of footprints that led to the body. This bolsters the idea that she was with someone else, or possibly that two people carried her to the scene and posed it. Tire tracks were also found just 50 yards away. Not only were her hands and her forearm removed, but several of her teeth were removed as well. In some of her remaining teeth, she had expensive gold crowns. And with that, that's where we're gonna leave our discussion of the Lady of the Dunes today. We'll pick it up next time with an in-depth discussion of the Lady of the Dunes dental work, how this was possibly related to her death, and what else was discovered on her body. But for now, let's talk about what we do know in case you wanna help and be part of the reform crew working to help identify the Lady of the Dunes. So this is what we know. In July of 1974, a Caucasian woman, 20 to 40 years old, with long auburn hair, extensive dental work with gold crowns, went missing. There have been composite pictures of her maid over the years. The Provincetown Police Department keeps all of these pictures and information about the Lady of the Dunes public, possibly hoping someone will see it and help identify her. For those who want to be internet detectives and try and help solve this crime, let's see if we can help identify her. Are there missing persons reports from 1974 that describe someone like her? Do you know of someone fitting her description who you have heard about who went missing in 1974? She was found in Massachusetts, but she could have been from anywhere. Let us know if you have relevant information or wanna reach out to us at thereformpod at gmail.com. We'll forward the information you provide to the proper authorities, and you can also contact the Provincetown Police Department at 508-487-1212. Thank you for listening to The Reform Podcast. Before we go, if you're interested in supporting the work we do, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. Your input really matters. Also, join us on Patreon, where you can get access to exclusive and early content. If you can't wait until the next episode is released, you can hear it now by subscribing to us on Patreon. Otherwise, stay tuned for next week, where we'll continue to dig into the Lady of the Dunes mystery and what happened to her on that beach. The Reform Podcast is written, researched, recorded, and produced by me, Kimberly Dudick. You can follow The Reform Podcast and stay up to date on Instagram at The Reform Podcast, on Facebook at The Reform Podcast, and on Twitter at The Reform Pod. Our theme song is Be Mine by the Missoula, Montana musician Tom Catmull. We're making this show on and around the traditional lands of the Salish, Pandora, Kootenai, Shoshone, Blackfoot, Chinook, and Multnomah peoples, and many other Native tribes. With deep respect, we acknowledge the Indigenous people of the West and throughout the United States. We also want to fully thank and recognize our sources and their work. A full list and links are available on our website at thereformpodcast.com. Wherever you are, everyone, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep searching for justice.
1: Darling, when the door locked in, my little finger walked hand in hand. And that was just the sound of a word or a sticker, my thumb against some wood or something. I, I got nothing planned. And when the room is quiet, it's either one of two religions joyful noise or a wide open space. The letter pulls you short from a crowded room with your pocketbook in your heart and your mind. Out of place Be mine Be mine is innocent is hearing lovers kiss in darkened taverns while mining your own but when your ears fill twice a chance encounters a charming third and you'll someday find it stained to your bones it is particular about company and it sparks the flame of jealousy in those you hold close
0: and it has
1: no fear of poverty the bottle or solace you see you are what It needs most be mine